Let's go straight to the practice. Ummagi yuki nupcham sam bemagesa dombola yamzen joki mudubnye bemajune shesuta kordu kando mambuko keki jesu datuki Jingi lapchi shaksusu guru bema siri hong hong oge yuki nupcham sam bema gesan dombola yamsen shoki mudubne bema june shesuta Kodu kando mambu ko keki jesu daktubki jingi lapchi shaksu su guru pema siri hum hum mage yuki nupcham sam pema gesa dombola Yamsen joki mudubnye Pema june shesuta Kodu kando mambuko Keki jesu daktubki Jingi lapchi shaksusu Guru pema siri Om Mahum Vedagura Pemesiri Hum. 
If you'd like to switch postures, please do so now. First of all, set the ambience of the session. We continue this morning in the meditative cultivation of empathetic joy. So take satisfaction, if you can take delight, in the fact that you have the opportunity here and now to devote yourself to the cultivation of your heart and mind, sowing the seeds of both hedonic as well as eudaimonic well-being. Cherish this opportunity. Take full advantage of it. And settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural state. In this meditative cultivation of mudita, of empathetic joy, unlike the practices of loving-kindness and compassion, we're focusing here primarily not on the, the realm of possibility, but enriching, broadening, balancing out our awareness of the realm of actuality, what is already true. Aspects of reality we easily overlook, fail to attend to, and thereby they fail to become real for us. So mudita means taking delight, not only in virtue but also in happiness, good fortune, success. So let's begin this session focusing on others, those whom we know personally and those whom we do not, those who are near and far, and let your attention rove with a question. That is, who do you know out there, whether local or far away, who is right now enjoying a sense of hedonic well-being, good health, financial security, meaningful, happy interpersonal relationships, and so forth. Who do you know who is well and happy, enjoying their lives, enjoying their successes? Attend to them closely. Let their joys be your joys, and as they take delight in their good fortune, so you too open your heart, embrace their good fortune with similar delight 
may, if you wish, you can join this once again with the breathing. As you breathe out, you may imagine rays of light going out, embracing in joy and satisfaction the well-being excesses of others. Let your attention rove, focusing not just on mental images, but other actual people, human beings, and non-human beings. Take delight in those who experience eudaimonic well-being, a deeper sense of well-being stemming from within, from what they bring to the world rather than what they get from the world. Let your attention rove. Do you know any such people? Take delight in their true flourishing. Take delight in those who are contributing to the hedonic well-being of others, so enormously important in this world. Helping others out of poverty, providing them with education, providing medical treatment, offering friendship, companionship, all different manners in which people serve other human beings, serve animals, Take care of the planet. Take delight.
take delight in those who are serving others in terms of bringing them greater eudaimonia, genuine happiness. Whether by way, by way of one religion or another, or without any association with religion, simply helping people find the true causes of genuine happiness, of flourishing. especially those who lead others onto the path, the path of true transformation, evolution, towards awakening, towards freedom. Take delight in such, in such virtue. especially in this era, this age of modernity in which low self-esteem, anxiety, depression are so endemic, it is certainly worthwhile to turn our attention inwards upon our own situation and feel a sense of contentment, perhaps gratitude, satisfaction, in the extent of hedonic well-being that we do presently enjoy, that provides a foundation for us to have some satisfaction in our lives and to have the ability, the time, the leisure and opportunity to practice Dharma. Take delight in your own hedonic well-being. Not everyone is so fortunate. To the extent that you do feel you found some degree of eudaimonia, of genuine happiness, of flourishing, due to your own efforts, due to the kindness and guidance of others, your spiritual friends, and so on, take satisfaction, a 
arouse a sense of contentment, of joy. That you have found a type of dharma that suits you, that nurtures you, fulfills you. You may have even found a path that is authentic, that is true, that is meaningful. And this you may take great joy, for this truly is rare. Simultaneously arouse a sense of joy, of satisfaction, but also gratitude for all those who have enabled you to find such well-being and to find the path. And it is an integral part of Dharma practice, at least within the Buddhist tradition, to take joy in one's own virtues. Again, absolutely not in the sense of self-congratulation or narcissism or arousing a sense of superiority or expecting acknowledgement from others, but rather simply taking delight in the virtue you bring to the world, whatever goodness you bring to the world. And you may focus, first of all, on ways in which you've contributed to the hedonic well-being of others, with every act of kindness, of courtesy, a show of respect, sharing your skills, your knowledge, every good you bring to the world, to help people find greater hedonic well-being. Take delight, seek it out, focus on it and take delight in such virtue, which is so appreciated by others. Finally, attend to those ways in which you have done your best to help, help others find eudaimonia, to cultivate virtue, the seeds of genuine happiness, 
to find greater meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in their lives. To find dharma that is appropriate to themselves and perhaps even find a path to which they may dedicate themselves. Stepping boldly out in the direction of freedom and awakening, take delight in this greatest gift you can offer to others, the gift of dharma. Then release all appearances and objects of the mind and simply let your awareness rest in its own nature.
Manaso? I think it's probably human nature for the mind, the attention to gravitate to injustices, to wrongs that have been done to us, also possibly wrongs we've done to other people, uh, suffering, evils, and so forth in the world. It's pretty obvious with the media and so on. But it does give a very jaundiced view of everything, of ourselves, other people, the, the world at large, just because it's so biased, that, that tilt, that whole tilt towards the negative. So this empathetic joy is designed to balance that out, to create equilibrium, balance once again. And you'll note from the meditation we did on Saturday morning, some of you, if you're at all like me when you're scanning through your childhood, now what good did I bring to the world? Not much data. Through the high school years. Okay, two. (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm just unusual, maybe I'm just, you know, really exceptional here. Or maybe not. And then slowly maybe it gets better. But was it really the case? Well, I really don't think so. I don't think it was that bleak. But it can happen also, and that is, you know, childhood, youth, as children, as adolescents. We all know this, I think, from our own experience. It's ever so easy just to take for granted. Well, my, that's my parents' job. They're supposed to do that, you know, period. Like, what's the big deal, you know? But they didn't give me what I wanted for Christmas. Very easy. But this is where Mahayana Buddhism in particular comes in very, very strongly, emphatically, universally. This whole meditation on the, on the kindness of our mothers, kindness of our parents, which we so easily overlook, reflecting upon it and de- developing, arousing a profound, profound sense of gratitude that should carry on all the way through the lifetime, but then expanding, of course. I mean, this is classic, right? expanding outwards to attending to all sentient beings who at one point or another bound to have been our mother, our father, and so on, and developing this deep sense of gratitude. But it's joyful. I know some, I, I know, I'm, sh- I'm sure this is true. Some people, when they feel a sense of gratitude, they feel like a burden, like being in debt. Doesn't it happen sometimes that if somebody invites you over to dinner, then you feel, oh, now I have to invite them to dinner. And kind of like, I don't really want to invite, I don't really want to accept the invitation because then I have to invite them too. Or they just sent me a Christmas present. Oh, now I've got to send them a Christmas present. Ay, ay, ay. I wish they'd just stop, you know, because then I have to do it. It's just one more thing to remember. You know. You know. Gratitude is a burden. You know. How sad. You know. Gratitude can be so joyful, bring such a sense of warmth, happiness to the heart, that you just kind of walk through life in a sense of, as Shantideva says, as you, as you attend, if you look into the eyes of others, you drink them in, right? Bringing this awareness that it's because of people just like this, whether we're in Thailand, Australia, Brazil, North America, wherever we may be, it's because of people just like this, ones we encounter from day to day, that I'm able to follow a path of Dharma, that I'm able to, to find a path of freedom, pursue it to its culmination, but without them, hopeless. I remember one of the first little aphorisms I learned way back, like more than 40 years ago. It had to be one of the lamas that told me, but I don't remember who. He said, when you consider the kindness shown to, other, shown to you by others to enable you to you know, practice Dharma. So interesting. They made it mathematical. They said, one half comes from sentient beings. One half comes from the Buddhas. Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, Gurus, and so forth and so on. Half and half. I don't know why it wasn't 60-40, but Quite, quite insistent, half. And that is just no way. Even Buddha, even Gautama, even Gautama, when he is out there doing all his austerities, he wasn't living on nothing. wasn't living on nothing. Somebody must have been giving him some alms, right? And that was common for all the other shramanas, you know, all these wandering ascetics of the time. Somebody's taking care of you. If you want to fast, well, that's your choice. But by and large, you wouldn't, you wouldn't starve. So even Gautama, but then, of course, for all the rest of us. That is because of the kindness of sentient beings, because of their contribution, regardless of their motivation, you know, that we're able to pursue, pursue, seek to realize our heart's desire. So one half from simply our fellow sentient beings, that includes animals, and then the other half from our spiritual friends, our mentors, lamas, 
gurus, buddhas, bodhisattvas, and so forth, then the other half comes from there. But here's a truism. We can't remember something we don't pay attention to in the first place. Right? And this is why, for myself, I think I have this, a, a scanty database for, rem- for remembering you know, any good I might have brought to the world when I was a child or adolescent. I, would, I know I was nothing exceptional, but I don't think I was exceptional in being a really mean, nasty person either. I think it's kind of pretty ordinary. But not nasty ordinary, just kind of ordinary ordinary. But that means there must have been something good there. You know? I'm not going to seek it out. I'm not going to ask my brothers, what did I do for you? you know? I'm, I'm not going to do that. But we don't remember things we don't attend to. If we don't, if we don't focus on our dreams, and now, as you know, we're moving into dream yoga, if we're not taking an interest in our dreams with prospective memory, tonight I'm bound to have five to seven dreams, why don't I not forget all of them? You know, why don't I try to focus? Remember at least one. And as Stephen LeBaire says, you know, if you don't remember your dreams, you won't remember whether you had a lucid one. Wouldn't that be a bummer? You know, you're here for the next couple of weeks, we're focusing on dream yoga, and you're having a, one or two lucid dreams every night. In the, in the morning you wake up, oh, I didn't have any dreams. What a bummer, you know. Dished up, now stored in your substrate consciousness, like somebody, you know, depositing money in your bank account, and you're not even aware of it. But it is there, even money's there, you just have to wake up and, oh, there it is, look at your account. You know? So, attend to to link this on. I mean, it's really quite beautiful how this is happening. I didn't plan this, but this, there's a real kind of nice synergy, interrelatedness, between this practice we're doing right now and the dream yoga. In the following way, whether people, again, you're very much in my heart and mind, people listening by way of podcasts, whether people afar or people right here in Phuket, I can't really say. I'm not going to try to predict how frequently in the coming days, weeks, months, or years you're going to be sitting down and meditatively cultivating mudita. If you do so, I think it's going to be time very well spent. But this is kind of like a market economy <laughs> you know, when it comes to dharma. And that is, there's so many ways, so many types of meditation we can do, right? We're going to choose. And so, clearly, what I would wish for you is you choose that which is most beneficial to you. It's really simple. I'm, I'm not trying to sell a brand name, you know, like a Dujum, Dujum Lingba brand, or the Tsongaba brand, or even Mahayana brand, or Buddhist brand. I'm simply offering what I have, and that's mostly in Buddhism, and then you know the lineages that I'm sharing with you. So I'm not marketer. I'm not a marketer. I have nothing to sell. Uh, so I simply wish for everyone listening that you find the type of Dharma, whether it's Buddhist, Christian, religious or not religious, that really nurtures you, helps you find hedonic and eunomotic well-being. That's my simple wish. That's why I'm teaching. Very simple. And of course, I do have a passion that you find a path and I'm doing everything I can to help you in that regard. Hmm. But for your daily meditative practice, will you choose among the wide variety of wonderful practices to choose from? Will you choose once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year to sit down and actually meditatively cultivate mudita? It tends to be overlooked a lot. In this era when it's especially needed, for the obvious reasons, all the emphasis on negativity, low self-esteem, self-loathing, and so forth and so on. People holding grudges against their parents, you know, give it a rest. You know. I mean, sometimes it goes on for decades. My father did this, my mother didn't do that. Tibetans, I mean, when they hear this, they're kind of like, whoa. You either had really terrible parents, or you've got some major work to do. Inside your own minds, give it a rest for heaven's sakes. So your parents weren't perfect. How do you think you would have fared on your own? You know, day one, you just came out of the womb. Okay, kid, go for it. Knock yourself out. Make a living. You know, we have to give them some credit there. We didn't starve. You know, that's, that's really nice. I'm glad my parents just didn't put me out, you know, out in the, out in the mountains. Be jungle boy. Go for it, Mowgli. Go for it. Maybe some wolves will take you in. I'm very happy they didn't do that. You know, we didn't have wolves in California. And I'm not sure how well I would have fared with the coyotes. I think they would have looked at me more like lunch. So I'm very glad my parents didn't just put me out into the bush. That was very kind of them. Just for starters. You, know. you didn't say, oh, what a crybaby. Chuck them out. Because you know. the kids make so much noise, have you noticed? Yikes, they keep you awake and they say, wah, 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 wah. 
thank goodness, you know, I think motherly love saves the human race. It's pretty clear. Because what do they do besides poop and scream? And then they pee. And that's their big contribution to their parents. Screaming, and then, of course, they, they make little cute faces and gurgle sometimes, but not most of the time. You know. So, not to belabor the point, coming back to the central point, and it's quite important. In, in the practice, whether of dream yoga or lucid dreaming, now here's core, uh, a very major element of the practice is prospective memory. Prospective memory during the daytime and during the nighttime. Okay? So, very brief, very, very brief. We'll get back to this in the evening. But lucid dreaming, prospective memory, what's up with that? And that is, very simply put, there's a lot more that can be said, but I'm going to keep it very short. Prospective memory in, luc- in the secular discipline of lucid dreaming. Throughout the course of the day, have your antenna up, be on the alert for the occurrence of anomalies. If you have a whole set of dream signs, you know, look for them, excellent. But if you don't yet have a set of dream signs, those recurrent episodes, uh, emotions, people, places, situations, things, and so forth, if you don't yet have a nice roster of dream signs to look for, then just generally keep on the alert for anomalies, anything really out of the ordinary. And when you see, so that's the first thing, prospectively, look for anomalies and recognize them when you see them. That's the first thing. And the second one is prospective memory to do something. And that is when you do see an anomaly at any time, then do a state check, right? Yep, that's the easiest one. Because Amir either has an itchy nose or he was just showing the state check, you know. But nobody really looked at him like, what a weirdo. Just pull your nose, you know, there you are. So, so and, and then for dream yoga, dream yoga, and then, it, and dream yoga as well as lucid dreaming, a major aspect of prospective memory is as you're falling asleep, then really develop a resolve tonight, and then you fill in the spaces. We'll get to that a bit later. Well, likewise here for mudita, a complementary practice, what it really encourages, what if you spend time formally in meditation cultivating this, this third of the four measurables, wonderful, really, really meaningful. Direct it inwardly, which is generally not done, but I think we need to in our modern world. Outwardly, that's good for any age, whether or not you have any low self-esteem. Really, really good practice. But what I'm getting at, and then I'll stop, is this. And that is, I'd really encourage you in between sessions, everyone, people here in Phuket, elsewhere throughout the world, keep your eyes open with prospective memory throughout the course of each day. Keep your antenna up on the alert for others' happiness and their virtues. Others' happiness. And just attend to it. It's so easy to overlook it, you know. But just others' happiness at any time, and come out of your shell, come out of your head, come out of your own I, me, mine, little sphere, you know, and attend closely. Let it be real for you. Let your eyes linger there, and as they're really enjoying, whether it's playing a game of tennis, whether it's swimming, whether it's having a really tasty meal, you'll see that. You don't have to look very far to find this happening. Uh, People enjoying pleasant conversation, and so forth. When you see even a minor amount of happiness, share it. Take delight in it. Let your heart expand and embrace, like encompass those you're attending to. Their joys. If you find anyone who seems to be experiencing eudaimonic well-being, then all, more, all the more so, all the more meaningful. You know. So there's one point. Hedonic and eudaimonic well-being. Keep your eyes open. Attend to it. Take delight in it. And then the other one is virtue. It's so easy. I mean, here, you know, when we're surrounded by courtesy, uh, I was just walking through, walking through the, the main entryway to Tanyapura, you know, with the sports, sports, just walking through, just my evening walk, my, my eyes were down, and I hear somebody calling out, Adika Kun Alan. And I looked around, the, the, the palms were up, big smile. I don't know who it was, you know, the person behind the desk. But I felt, you know, she didn't really have to do that. She really didn't have to. I mean, I was just walking through. I'm not anybody special, I, you know, really. I, I don't work here, not really. Uh, and I thought, I just turned. And then, and then two others, Adika, Adika, you know, Adika, Kun Alan. I was quite touched, you know. They don't really have to be that gracious. 
I wasn't looking for it. But when people are so gracious, you know, and going out of their way to give a friendly greeting, they say, wow, wouldn't it be nice if that were the way it were everywhere in the world? That that would be in Germany and in Scandinavia, New York City. I thought that would bring a chuckle, etc. Probably things would go a lot better, wouldn't it? If people just make that little gesture of a friendly greeting. And they were smiling, and they were, it was like, like, oh, you're our boss or something. Of course, I'm not even remotely anybody's boss, except, well, a tiny, little, tiny, lighting, micro, wonderful group of people for Santa Barbara Institute, but that's it. I have to be their boss. Somebody has to. I mean, you know, there it is, but I'm not boss to anybody here. And so little things like that, attending to virtue, an act of courtesy, act of kindness, and then especially when you see someone, anyone, or you even hear about it, you see, hear, or believed to occur, some act of kindness, of virtue, contributing to others' hedonic well-being or eudaimonic well-being. And whether they're Christian, they're Muslim, they're agnostic, they're humanist, whatever they are, you know, equally, equally. So we're not rooting for our team, you know, as if when Buddhists do something virtuous, that's somehow a little bit better than if Christian or an agnostic or an atheist does the same thing. It's not true. It has to do with motivation. The deeper the motivation, sure, that brings greater virtue to the task, to the act. But who are we really to judge other people's motivation? How do we know? I was told by Geshe Rapta, I mean, it's just an obvious thing. And I mentioned it before, I'm going to say it again. That when, you know, if you, if you identify, let's say, with the Mahayana tradition, Bodhicitta, this great, this great vehicle, great vehicle. And then you go to a Theravada country. Then you can feel, oh, this is Theravada. Okay, Theravada. They wear those saffron robes. They're after their own liberation. Not like me, though. I'm after supreme enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings throughout the cosmos. Cosmos, 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 cosmos. <laughs> to have any sense of superiority to anyone here in any country or any place is kind of a joke. Shandadeva emphasizes this. Who do we know? How do we know? Who's the Bodhisattva? The person sitting upon the Dharma throne proclaiming the Mahayana Dharma? Or the person behind the desk helping you with little mundane needs that you need from day to day? How do we know? The mere sheer fact that you're teaching Dharma, does that mean you have an absolutely magnificent motivation that would make all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas delight? Is that guarantee? People teach Dharma that their motivation is just unbelievably fantastic, or you're simply helping people at the front desk, or you're washing the dishes, is there some guarantee that their motivation is not bodhicitta? The answer is we don't know. We just don't know. So, so clearly stated in the Mayander tradition, it's really one aspect of this tradition I really deeply am moved by and cherish, is the great bodhisattvas may manifest in every way, as animals, as dishwashers, as school teachers, as dharma teachers, as accountants, as mothers, as gardeners. They do. In all manner of ways. Kalakamdul, it says in Tibetan, Kalakamdul, in any way that will help train others' minds, help them subdue their minds, help them to find inner calm, balance, cultivate virtue, in any way, the bodhisattvas will manifest there in any possible way. So when we look in any direction, and our eyes alight upon any person, if we ever have the sense, I know that you're not a bodhisattva, you might want to double-check that one. No guarantee. You know. So there's the prospective memory, mudita. Attend to virtue. We don't have to imagine it. This really is attending to that which is actual. But we easily overlook. We take for granted. Or we think, well, I deserve that. Or, that, well, I paid them. I pay them as if you can pay for courtesy. Sorry, you can't. You can pay for an outer show of courtesy. You can pay people to have their, their facial mushers go into a certain contraction. You can pay them to do that. You say, I'll fire you if you don't smile when, you, when, when customers come in. I will fire you. Your muscles have to go like this. You can pay people that. You can make them do that. But can you make them be warm? Be kind, make them have a benevolent motivation. How would you know 
You can't, I don't think you can. Any more than you can make people meditate, make people practice dharma. I don't think you can do it. You can just control outer behavior, but that's a shell. So when we see any enactment of virtue, any type of happiness, pause, linger, focus, remember. So the next time, whether it's a year from now or tomorrow, that you sit down and you're meditatively cultivating empathetic joy, you have more to work with. And don't overlook your own virtues. That's also so easy to do. That's one thing we don't get much encouragement. Not from Western religions, even. Uh, I've heard a lot of Christian sermons, but I don't recall one that said, now, attend to your own virtues. Attend to your own virtues, your own act of kindness, your own inner virtues, your own outer virtues. And take delight in them, because this is something good you're bringing to the world. I don't recall it. Now, again, I haven't been to a Christian sermon for quite a long time, so maybe things have moved on. But it's not something generally very highly emphasized. So it's important that we bring greater balance, greater sense of lightness and joy into our lives. So enjoy your day. And I'll see you at 4.30.